that passage of scripture is one of my favorites in the Bible. When God told Moses, there's a place by me, and he covered him with his hand because he could only see the hinder parts of his glory. But Jesus he sent as completely accessible to us. And then when he went away, he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He'll always be with us in presence, in his spirit, in us. Thank the Lord for that. Well, I stand here once again before you this morning. Did I say good morning? Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> Sorry? Oh, about God telling Moses there's a place by me in Exodus and he covered him. I think it's around the 30th chapter, but I'm not 100% sure, but I can find it for you. Anyway, that is one of my favorite, favorite uh, scriptures in the Bible. This week was a little bit weird. I, I began, as I always do, kind of map out the week. <laughs> On Tuesday, I'm always really listening, really trying to press in, in prayer and in Bible reading, and I go about doing things I need to get done, but that's my mindset on Tuesday. On Wednesday, I'm really in the Word, and I'm praying, and I'm, Lord, I'm here, I'm listening. I want to hear what your Word is for this week. On Thursday, I'm desperate. Lord, if I haven't heard from you by Thursday, something's wrong. What am I doing wrong? This is what's going on in my brain. This week on Friday morning, I was sitting in my office, in my chair, and I just put my eyes to the ceiling, to the heavens, and raised my hands and said, God, I just love your presence so much. And the glory of the Lord fell and the anointing for this message came, and it was done in a couple of hours. It just, I say these things because I'm always stunned by the way the Lord works. It's not the same every time, even though I, I would much prefer it to be the same every time. It isn't, but I know the Lord spoke, and that's the important thing. This morning we're going to be looking at a passage of scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and you can turn there, but we're not going to get there for just a few minutes because I think it's important that we know a bit of the background in the book of 1 Corinthians so we better understand Paul's uh, letter, the second letter to the church of Corinth. In the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul packs a wallop to this church in admonitions and teachings on all sorts of subjects to this newly formed little fledgling church of the living God. And you can run through your mind some of the scriptures that you know associated with some of these topics I'm going to name off that Paul covered in 1 Corinthians, false doctrine, Christian holy living, what marriage should look like in a Christian home, 
the difference between Christian liberties and Satan's bondages, what true forms of worship look like, how to use spiritual gifts, and towards the end of the book, the resurrection of the dead in Christ. Paul had a lot of ground to cover in this first letter, teaching them so that they would become well-established in their beliefs because he was literally building them from the foundation of their Christian life. How to live like Christ and how to lay down their familiar pagan ways all the while doing so, while encouraging them in their faith. It wasn't an easy job. As an example, in the 10th chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul had to instruct them about discontinuing idol worship. He told them, you cannot partake of the Lord's cup in communion and also partake of that which has been designated and used for sacrifice to devils. In the uh, 21st chapter of the 10th, excuse me, 21st verse of the 10th chapter, he says, you cannot drink of the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of both the Lord's table and the table of devils. Paul doesn't specify in that, in that passage of scripture what they were drinking in the devil's cup, but whatever it was, he clearly intended that they know that they can't touch something that was designated to be sacrificed to devils. And he points out that it provokes the jealousy of the Lord to do so. So they had to stop. This sounds like a duh moment to us, but imagine the aha moment it must have been to them. Just beginning their walk, just learning to forsake all the former way of life and embrace this new life in Christ. And by the end of the first letter to Corinth, Paul was building them up in their faith encouraging them to listen to and gain strength from all of the workers that he would be sending to them, the various evangelists and the workers in the Lord that he would send their way. And he told them at the end of the chapter that he would be spending the winter with them when he passed through Macedonia. And this is where we pick up today. The second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 1. Because Paul had to change his travel plans due to the troubles that he had incurred, incurred in Asia. And he couldn't, therefore, go to Macedonia as he planned, when he planned, and winter there with them in Corinth. And as a result of this change of plans, the church became offended. They became irate at Paul. They raked him over the coals. They badmouthed him. They questioned his sincerity and his honesty. 
Paul's response to this in 2 Corinthians 1.15. In this confidence, I intended at first to come to you so that you might twice receive a blessing. That is, as I passed your way into Macedonia and again on my way as I came from Macedonia, I would come to you. And by you, I would be helped on my journey to Judea. So Paul was sincere. He was honest. He had good intentions and every hope of spending the time with them. And he goes on to say, Therefore, I was not vacillating when I intended to do this, was I? Or what I propose, do I propose according to the flesh? So that with me, now listen, so that with me there will be yes, comma, yes and no, or no, all at the same time. <laughs> and here is the meat on the plate. Verse 18, but as God is faithful, our word to you is not yes and no. Verse 19, for the Son of God, Christ Jesus, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but it, it was yes in him. For as many as are the promises of God, in him they are yes. Therefore, also through him is our amen. I looked up that word amen there. <clears throat> it means our truth and our so be it and our let it be so. To the glory of God that is working through us. And now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God, who also sealed us and gave us the spirit in our hearts as a pledge. And Paul said, as God is faithful, my words to you are not conflicting, but his words are always yes and amen. And now we know what the amen means. It is representative of Jesus, the truth. And there is no shadow of turning in him. James 1:17 in the Amplified Bible says, every good gift and every perfect, free, large, full gift is from above, and it comes down from the Father of all that gives light, in the shining of whom there can be no variation from rising or setting or shadow cast by his turning as it were an eclipse. There is no shadow of turning in him. I would bet you, if I took a poll and asked, which I'm not, for you to raise your hand, 
that you might, like this young church, say, I've been disappointed by church, church people. You may even have questioned the sincerity of the very ones who had led you into relationship with Christ. You may be disillusioned with some that you came into relationship after you came to Christ, both in and outside of the church. But I'm here to tell you today there is one whose word is yes and amen, and it never, ever changes. And as Paul said, we are confident of this. Amen? I read in the commentaries that Jesus used the double form of the word verily when he said verily, verily, because only he is truth. So all the instances that we might read in scripture where the double form of the word verily is used by him, such as in John 1, 50 and 51, when Jesus addresses Nathanael's doubts about his identity, Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. For verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. This promise was made from Jesus' own mouth, the truth, speaking the truth. Have you ever received a promise from the Lord? I know I have. His word is truth. His promises are yes and amen based upon the truth himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is to the glory of God that we stand upon his promises in our lives. For all the promises of God in him are yes and in him amen to the glory of God through us. Russell Kelso Carter is the author of the hymn Standing on the Promises. He was an athlete an educator, a rancher, a preacher, and a physician. Not much of a resume there. And here is his condensed testimony. He says, from my birth in 1849, I was surrounded by Christian influences. My father stood for nearly half a century in the rank of Christian workers in Baltimore. And by his side, I had the example of a patient, loving mother. I cannot remember when I was not subject to deep convictions of sin. But yet as a schoolboy, I wandered from the truth until age 15, when under the influence of a cadet prayer meeting, in the Pennsylvania Military Academy, I made my profession of faith in Jesus. 
but I made a very common mistake. I didn't forsake my old companions and my old habits, and for 14 years I lived the up-and-down experience so familiar to the average church member. I never enjoyed myself so much as when working in Dr. Moody's meetings in Baltimore, yet even up to that time, I was continually slipping and falling. And my soul cried for deliverance, and God's unlimited promises stood out like unreachable stars above me. But I wasn't willing to pay the price to reach them. In the summer of 1879, my heart, which had been chronically diseased for seven years, resisting the remedies of physicians and refusing to grow better even after three years of sheep ranching in California, suddenly broke down so seriously as to bring me to the verge of death. I had heard of the prayer of faith for healing, but I felt persuaded it would border on blasphemy to ask God for a strength which I didn't fully propose to use for him. Kneeling in my mother's room in Baltimore, I made a consecration that truly covered everything. All doubtful things were set aside. I meant every word I said, and I have never had a doubt about it since that day. A quietness came over me, and I found the Bible wonderfully open and marvelously satisfying as it had never been to me before. Feeling all the more impressed with God's healing promises, I concluded to go to Boston and ask prayer and anointing at the hands of Dr. Cullis. I was terribly weak, but I went anyway. And I will add only that I returned after three days, walking by faith and not by feeling, resumed my college work in September, and at once engaged in all kinds of religious work. For I was healed by the power of God and God alone, and his word is true. Praise the Lord. We're going to stand and we're going to sing Standing on the Promises. One time in this very church, I was sitting about where Sister Patty is and Jim was sitting on my right. And Nancy Harmon was here and we had the organ over there and we had the piano here. I was praying we were worshiping she was singing if you remember Nancy Harmon at the time she had false teeth and she they didn't fit well she was a young woman but they didn't fit well and she took them out and she sat them on the organ kicked her shoes off <laughs> 
and the Spirit of God fell in this place just like a blanket. She pointed to me and she said, you in the blue dress that has your hand like this, would you stand? And Jim said, that's you. <laughs> and I stood. Then she said, God's had a call on your life since you were a little girl. She said, right now, you're standing at the side of your husband and you're working together as a team. But God has more for you. Little did I know that it would mean this. But my point is that God's promises are true. If God has given you a promise, whether it's in the word or it's in a spoken message from a prophet or a preacher, believe it. Stand on his promise. Would you sing it with me? You'll have to cover me because my voice is not well. I'm going um, to raise the key a bit for you. I'm going to put it in B flat. Standing on the promises of Christ like me Through eternal ages let his praises ring Glory in the highest I will shout and sing Standing on the promises of God Yes, I'm standing, standing Standing on the promises of God 
others too. Because some of these things are conditional. We know we can't just live the way we want to live and expect to receive the promises of God.
us again to re revisit, oh God, the word of your, the testimony of you in your word, Lord. It's so true. And we thank you and we praise you for it all, for you are worthy of it all. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen.